The United States Grand Prix saw over 400,000 racing fans witness Red Bull secure the Constructors' Championship on what was an emotional weekend for the team. There was drama and heartbreak on turn one for Carlos Sainz, while Fernando Alonso put together an incredible comeback until he didn't. All this and more on Unlapped. I mean, I looked at it and I was like, well, that's that's George's fault. Would you quantify this and describe this as maybe Lewis Hamilton's best drive of the year? He does look unbeatable in most scenarios. I feel like the FIA trolls these guys. They absolutely do. Welcome to Unlapped and ESPN F1 show. I'm Katie George. He's Lawrence Edmondson. We're allowing Nate Saunders to catch some much needed Z's after he traveled back across the pond. Lawrence, I was so sad that I did not get to join you down in Austin. How was it? It was fantastic. I mean, we were just saying the only thing missing was you, Katie. It would have been lovely to have you along, but um, it was a great weekend. And yeah, really interesting. Obviously, you experienced Miami. Well, Austin's a very different event. And uh, it really, I think, still has a great place on the calendar, a really important place, because it just offers so much to so many fans seeing that many people um especially at turn one they call it big red that's the name of the corner they they, they named it fairly recently and to see all those fans up there on the right hand side watching over oh, turn yeah. one and of course the drama at turn one was uh was fantastic there was so much drama and i'm just curious i know miami it was in its infancy first inaugural i can't believe it's already been 10 years that we've had the united states grand prix in austin just kind of what are the biggest differences from your vantage point having now obviously been to miami back in may yeah, I mean, those two races are, are very different. It feels like Miami set up for VIPs. It feels like a very exclusive event, whereas Austin really is just open to everyone. It's like, you know, if you can get the money together to buy a ticket, you're very welcome to come along. You're going to get great views all around the track, even on general admission. So it's uh, it's a really, really special place. And I've been coming here since 2012, since that first race. Of course, we did miss one due to the pandemic, but mm-hmm. um, I've been coming back most years and uh, Austin has completely changed as a place. Uh, it's yeah. gone from being what was a relatively small place to, I think, you know, a booming place. I've heard lots of people have come over from California, but um, it really adds to it. It really puts on a um, a kind of party atmosphere away from the track. So the track isn't in the city. You're a little bit further out, but then you get back and it's easy enough to go out and enjoy all the sights and sounds. And the sounds are great because the live music scene here is fantastic uh, of Austin. It's, it's really good. He says here because you're still currently in Austin getting ready to go to Mexico, correct? That is right. Yeah. So I fly to Mexico tomorrow, which is Wednesday. And uh, yeah, get on the ground to do it all over again. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot on the line, uh, sadly. And we'll get to all of that. But remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment on what you want to hear and learn more about. And don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. If you're listening, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. dive into a quick bit of news because a domino has fallen. Logan Sargent has been announced uh, as the Williams driver in 2023. If he can get his super license, he would be the first U.S. driver in F1 since 2015. Is this similar to the Colton Herta situation with the super license, or do we feel better about Sargent's chances of making it into F1? No, we feel much better about this. The Colton Herta one, really, he had to go and fight his case because he just didn't have enough points. Uh, And the FIA turned around and said, rules are rules. You don't have enough points. You haven't really gained enough experience or got the results to be able to come into Formula One. That's why we have those rules. So Herta, I mean, we can go on and on about (laughs) how IndyCar maybe should be weighted slightly heavier in that in that points system, but it's not. So uh, he's he's out. But it looks a lot better for Sergeant. I mean, it's not Mm -hmm. certain, but it's nearly certain. Really, he has to finish. top six in f2 he's currently third there are a bunch of drivers behind him but 
for it to go against him, uh, basically, they've all got to have amazing weekends and he's got to have a terrible weekend. Okay. And uh, really, the odds are that's not going to happen. Plus, he's picking up extra points for uh, FP1 drives. He did one in Austin. Um, so, yeah, that, that should tip him over the edge. We should have an American driver uh, in Formula 1 next year. It's just not 100% confirmed yet. He was obviously down in Austin. I'm just curious with all the popularity that you've seen, you know, growing and growing and growing here in the States, you're currently in the States, you know, what does that do for the sport overall by placing an American driver on the grid like we saw back in 2015? Yeah, I think this time is perfect timing. So the problem always is, is that if you just put a driver on the grid from a country and, you know, he or she is not particularly competitive, then it's tricky. It's tricky to get that kind of momentum going behind Mm -hmm. them. But because we've had this big boom of interest in Formula One in the United States, because we now had three races for next year, Las Vegas joining the calendar alongside Miami and Austin, I think it's perfect. So really, um, you know, he's a good kid. He seems like a really nice guy. And uh, I think, you know, the talent's there. And okay, he hasn't won Formula Two this year, but he's been very competitive. He's come in right from the start and he's also come through uh, the European side of things. So rather than going down the IndyCar route and trying to make the jump across, which I think is much harder, he's gone through the kind of F1, FIA approved route uh, ladder. We often call it the motorsport ladder mm-hmm. up to Formula One. So uh, I think he's got, you know, a- every chance of, of making it big. And, you know, the fact that so many people in Formula One want an American on the grid, uh, you know, we want someone for everyone to cheer for, you know, when we go to Miami and Austin and Las Vegas. I just hope that Williams can give him a car that, means that he's not right at the back. It means that he can get in amongst the midfield at least and show us what he can do. Yeah, he would replace the outgoing Nicholas Latifi. And of course, we will wait and see if he gets enough points with that super license to be able to join the grid in 2023. Audi uh, teased something um, that is coming, an announcement that is coming. Now, we don't know exactly what that is. Can you hedge and tell me what you think it could possibly be when they make their announcement on Wednesday? So earlier this year at the Belgian Grand Prix, we found out Audi were coming to Formula One in 2026. And all they would say is we're going to be an engine supplier. We haven't yet decided who we're going to partner with, where we're going to put those engines, which cars they'll be in. So Mm -hmm. I suspect this will be the next step along there uh, in in that route. And we basically know it's an open secret that uh, Audi are going to invest in the Sauber Formula One team, which is currently known as the Alfa Romeo Formula One team. Mm -hmm. But that Alfa Romeo sponsorship is literally that it's sponsorship they don't really get involved in the making of the car audi wants to do it differently they want to be a real big part of this they want to use their technology from you know that they've had from other racing series and i guess from their road cars as well and combine it all together into a proper what we call a factory outfit so something like uh mercedes ferrari and so on so i hope i hope it's the next step in that you know we know that announcement is coming at some point i hope it's going to be tomorrow because it helps get everyone excited about it and also it helps with Salva, you know, if it is that team and, you know, it looks like it will be, that's yeah. a great little team. And that was a team that had a lot of investment in the uh, late 2000s um, uh, by BMW. Funny enough, another German manufacturer. BMW pulled out of the sport around the time of the financial crisis. But what they left there was a very good wind tunnel, some very good facilities. And Salva has always had a group of really smart engineers. So uh, with a bit more funding and, of course, an engine project to go with it, um, Audi's hope, at least, is that in 2026, they're going to come onto the grid and be able to, you know, fight right at the front. Which is extremely exciting. Okay. We'll be on the lookout for that as well. Let's hit the highlights and the lowlights of the U.S. Grand Prix. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. 
eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Where would you like to start? Do we want to start with Max's dominance? We've been having conversations, it seems, week in, week out about that. And again, it was a great race by Max and Red Bull on what was, as we mentioned at the top, an emotional weekend. Do we want to just start with the first corner incident, though? Because the race started out with a bang. It did. Um, George Russell got it all wrong. And it's funny because for so long, George Russell was the guy that you'd depend on. Because for yeah. remember the start of the year, he'd get... Uh, top five finishes all the time. It'd stay out of trouble. You know, we were getting a bit worried about Lewis because Lewis wasn't getting it all hooked <laughs> yeah. together. And now it just seems to turn around. But, you know, th- these things happen to drivers. You know, they go through periods where they have, you know, freak accident after freak accident or mistake after mistake. And, you know, I think he'll, he'll, he'll click out of it. But, I mean, I looked at it and I was like, well, that's, that's George's fault. He claimed Carlos cut back in him. But, you know, there was no way Carlos wasn't going to go where he was going because he was trying to get past Max. Of course, Carlos has started on pole position. And uh, we were saying before the start of the race, he needs the race of his life to make this work. And unfortunately, that race lasted really one corner before that contact. So, yeah, a bit of a shame. But, you know, that's uh, that's part of what makes racing at Austin so exciting because you do have that turn one. There's so many different lines you can take. And the one that George took was just a little bit too ambitious. Is it one of the best corners, first corners in F1 from all of the different tracks that you've been at? That's a really good question. I, it's, it's definitely up there. It's definitely up there because it's unique. I can't think of another corner where you have that elevation change up yeah. to a really, really tight uh, first corner. But, you know, we've got some good ones around. Suzuka's fantastic. That's high speed uh, going into there. Um, you know, even places like Mexico, we've got a long old drag down. You know, you start pole position, it's almost a disadvantage because the guys behind can slipstream you and potentially get into turn ones. But yeah, I, I, I think it's up there. And you got to remember, because usually when you see it on TV, you see the helicopter views and everything. From the driver's seat, they're so much lower and they cannot see what's on the other side of the corner. So it's, you know, a blind exit, a blind blind entrance. You can just about see the apex, but you can't see what's on the exit. So um, that's also why it's so difficult for them to judge that first that first corner. We thought for a second, uh, briefly, that Lewis Hamilton might have his first win of the season. Uh, but you knew it's almost like a shark just like swimming down somebody. You just knew that Max Verstappen was coming. And with him being on the medium, success looked inevitable. Red Bull wins its first Constructors' Championship since 2013. You know, just what have you made of the progress and just the dominance, not only from Max, you know, for an entire season, but from Red Bull in general? Yeah, it's it's very impressive, isn't it? And I think anyone hoping for 
a competitive formula going into the future. You know, we had these new set of regulations and they replaced a previous set where we had Mercedes and Red Bull right with each other. Well, at the moment, it looks like Red Bull know exactly what they're doing and they're making significant progress. And they have done certainly at the end of this year to close everything out, to close out the Drivers' Championship, the Constructors' Championship. And of course, um, that win on Sunday was just an example of how good that car is. You know, the Mercedes is getting better. It's getting better. And everything, almost everything in that race, went against Max a little bit. You know, he'd build a lead. There was a safety car. He then made his final pit stop. It lasted 11 seconds because they had a problem with the front left uh, wheel gun. He got back out. He was in third place, had to get past Leclerc. Not an easy job, you know, because Leclerc's car was quick. You know, it was faster than Max in qualifying. Did that. And then, of course, passed Lewis relatively easy in the end. We saw Mm -hmm. how fast that ripple is in a straight line. um, And yet it can still create downforce in the corners. So, uh, in F1, we refer to that as aero efficiency. It's both fast on straights and fast in corners. Uh, and that's what Mercedes is lacking. They're fast in corners, but they're not so fast on straights. And then Ferrari is kind of, it's got similar efficiency, but it's just that little step below. So, yeah, they, they've done a great job. And it's going to be a hard winter for their rivals to catch up because mm-hmm. don't believe the Rebel are going to stop developing. You know, they're going to keep working all the way through the winter to make sure they come into next year with another big step again. It was somewhat of a somber weekend because Dietrich Mateschitz had passed away and obviously he's been so pivotal uh, for that organization. You know, what kind of impact do you feel like that had on the weekend for those Red Bull members? I think it just made them absolutely determined to win 100%. They wanted to do it. It was the Constructors' Championship was a bit of a foregone conclusion, Mm -hmm. uh, but very, very important uh, for them to get that because they haven't won one of those since 2013 uh, with um, Sebastian Vettel at the wheel back then. And uh, that's a long time because the whole time we've had these turbo hybrid engines, the V6 turbos, which we talked about a lot when they first came in, Red Bull haven't won one of these championships. And uh, Dietrich Maschitz has has invested heavily in that team, invested heavily in F1. Of course, he's got two teams, but also, uh, you know, it was his idea to to go for the engine project for 2026. So, you know, to see it all come together and for them to start dominating again, which of course is what, Mateschitz wanted, you know, that's why he puts the money in there to, to go and win titles. Uh, it, it seemed like a very fitting way to um, to honour him. And it was it was interesting because, you know, often when somebody like that dies, you'll see teams go with uh, black armbands as a, as a sign mm-hmm. of respect. Well, Red Bull decided they didn't want to do that. Um, they, Of course, they mourn the death, but they really wanted to celebrate his life. And so what one of the nice touches they had were... Um, all the senior team members, at least, but most of the team members wearing blue denim jeans, which is, um, yeah, yeah, which is, it it was Mashitz's trademark, trademark look. So he's, you know, he's an Austrian and uh, a kind of, you know, straight talking Austrian, shall we say, um, (laughs) to to, to keep the language clean. But uh, yeah, he he would uh, always wear just his blue jeans and his his flannel shirt. And um, he was, whenever he walked into the room, you knew he was there because he was, he was such a, such an important figure and, and such a charismatic figure. But um, yeah, he, he never changed his look. So it was nice to see that little tribute go out there with the, with the blue jeans. Yeah, very special. Um, and I was curious as to why, because usually Christian Horner is in his full getup and I noticed the blue jeans and I thought, oh, maybe that's a Texas thing, but that's certainly uh, a great touch. What was looking like a special day uh, for Fernando Alonso after what was a wild collision down the straight with Lance Stroll? He came back on the track at 17th and he finished the race 7th. Uh, question mark asterisk no because then he was given a 30 second penalty after Haas complained to the FIA break this down for me and and what was going through your mind when all of this was unfolding because it looked like an unbelievable crash he's able to get his way back out and make an incredible comeback and then it's all ripped away from him in the end 
Yeah, it's a real shame, isn't it? It goes. This goes back a few races uh, for the reason that Haas uh, appealed because Haas, on a number of occasions, have had uh, the front wing end plate after contact uh, with another driver. I think it's always mm-hmm. been on Magnussen's car hanging off, and when bits of bodywork are hanging off and it looks like they're going to fly off the car and become detached, you know, it can happen at high speed. It can go into another driver's path. So the FIA, FIA have at their disposal the um, a black and orange flag. It's a black flag with an orange circle in it. Nate likes to call it the meatball flag because <laughs> uh, I think he's always thinking about food probably. Um, anyway, so, so yes. they, they, they wave that um, other driver and it basically means, look, you've got a mechanical issue. We can see it. You're going to have to come in and change it for safety reasons. Now, that didn't happen when Fernando Alonso's uh, wing mirror started flapping around in the, um, in the wind uh, coming into the car. Obviously, it's going to high speed, so it's, it's getting looser and looser and looser, and it eventually pinged off. And I think it did that for over 20 laps, maybe 26 laps, something like that. And so at the end of the race, uh, Hassel like, well, you know, this thing was going to fall off all these laps. Why wasn't he given this black and orange flag? And so that was why they appealed. But what a shame, because mm-hmm. it had been a fantastic race for Alonso up to that point, when I saw that car go up in the air, I was like, God, you know, I just hope the driver is okay, first no. of all. But there was no way in my mind that that car done. would be able to, yeah, that car would be able to come back to the pits, have a few repairs, go back out. And even if it went back out, no way it would go from uh, 17th, wherever he rejoined, to 7th at the end. Uh, so, yeah, it's a shame that, that that result got stripped away because the stewards did kind of decide that actually, yes, he should have been given a black and orange flag. And the way that they got around that was they're like, well, all we can do is give a 30 second penalty which dropped him down the order mm-hmm. um however it doesn't end there it does not end there like mm-hmm. most things in f1 there's always a right to appeal and alpine have taken it up and they seem to be really leaning on the fact that Hass's original protest appeal was later than it should have been so you have a window okay. after the race in which you can lodge one of these appeals and uh, or one of these protests and uh alpine claimed that Hass were 24 minutes late on that so that could be the technicality to get them off. Because if they just reopen the case again, there's no way the stewards are going to look at what they said and say, oh, yeah, you know what, actually, yeah, we do feel sorry for Fernando this time. We're, you know, we're not going to do it. They had all the facts in front of them anyway. So the thing that the Alpine protests or Alpine appeal rests on is this 24-minute uh, delay in getting getting the original protests in there. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, it does seem like a shame that Fernando Alonso's epic drive yeah. may not result in points, but... Um, you know, he still did it, right? He still went out there and did it. So there's always that. We'll always remember it. it. Yeah, exactly. That's right. When you look at Ferrari, obviously having Carlos knocked out in turn one was unbelievably heartbreaking. Sharp the most with what he could. Tire degradation has been an issue for this team all year long, it seems. like. What are your expectations for Ferrari moving forward, looking ahead to 2023? Based on what was supposed to be such a promising year for them. And then obviously it's, trended in a downward direction that's right i mean they started the season and that car looked on par with red bull and on several occasions ahead and it looked like the more reliable one in those first few races we had all those red bull reliability issues Mm -hmm. and of course you know we talked about so many times leclerc was 43 46 points ahead of uh verstappen whatever it was after australia you know that was a huge huge gap but of course it went away and part of it has been looking after the tyres, especially since the Belgian Grand Prix, when we had a clarification on what they can do with the floor and uh, basically certain teams had to slightly tweak their setups, slightly tweak the floors they're running. And it seems like whatever Ferrari had to do to make sure that the car was continued to be legal through the uh, second half of the season seems to have impacted perhaps the setup and what they can do with the tyres, perhaps the flexibility they have to look after the tyres with their setup. So it's something they're aware of. You know, they're absolutely aware of it. And of course, uh, these cars are 
almost like science projects. You know, they go on track each time and they learn a little bit more. And then that those learnings go into solutions that come onto the car, either at the next race or probably more likely at this stage next season. So I feel like uh, they know what they have to address. But like I said before, Red Bull are not going to stand still. So Red Bull have this car, which looks beautifully compliant. It doesn't bump around like the others. It looks after its tyres. It is fundamentally quick, although we saw actually in Austin that the two Ferraris were the two fastest cars in qualifying. But yeah, it's, it's close enough to be to be in the mix for pole position. And then in the race, it's just on another level, especially in Max's hands. And, you know, a, a lot has been said about Checo Perez this year, perhaps not having an identical car. Some things uh, are slightly different on Max's, but clearly Max has also adapted his style of driving to the car as Red Bull have adapted the car to his style of driving. And it's married up in this in this almost unbeatable uh, package that they have now with those two. Whereas I feel like Checo, what he wants from the car, uh, perhaps he hasn't quite got. And if anything, it's moved away from him. So yeah, it's an interesting situation. But yeah, all these drivers, all these teams, they know where their weaknesses are better than anyone, you know, better than us looking in from the outside. So they'll do everything they can to try and try and address those. I think you and I have very understanding of science projects i was um creating volcanoes as a young kid for my science fairs okay not <laughs> creating an aerodynamic race car just so we're clear well that, uh, that's where it starts it starts with the volcanoes and then if that grabs you then you can go into engineering and you go to uh yeah eventually the ultimate science project which is a form one car no doubt no doubt you talk about kind of the the tweaking right and you mentioned that mercedes cars it's, it's faster corners not fast on the straights would you quantify this and describe this as maybe Lewis Hamilton's best drive of the year? Yeah, it was up there, wasn't it? I, I, I think mm -hmm. it probably was. Um, I mean, he's, he's had some good ones, but they've all been a little bit under the radar just because the performance of the car isn't there. But I don't think there was anything Lewis could have done differently. I mean, he even tried to defend the position pretty robustly. Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's hard to point it out. And really, it became quite clear. I think it was maybe seven or eight laps out. We were like, okay. You know, there's no way that Max yeah. isn't going to just breeze past him on the straight again because we know about this straight line weakness for the Mercedes. So again, this you know this is something they need to address. And uh, I asked Toto Wolff, the Mercedes boss, about this after the race. You know, is is that straight line speed something which you can easily kind of you know work into next year's design? And he said, well, part of the problem is that the cost cap, which you know we've been talking about over and over again, but the cost cap is one of the limiting factors because in previous years they would have manufactured or engineered a whole bunch of low drag. Um, components and they would have tested those on the car and if that had found a solution then you know they, they may have been able to kind of spend their way out of it manufacture their way out of it engineer their way out of it but this time around uh no they're, they're, they're limited so it has to go to next year's car and um another interesting thing he said was that uh the concept for next year's car is going to be quite different so they've learned a lot this year and they're going to change it but he said the way it looks those distinct side pods i think he was referring to but certainly some of the shapes unusual shapes we see on that Mercedes may not actually change, but I think a lot of it is what's going on underneath uh, the floor of the car and uh, the way in which you can ride that, uh, you know, the, the ride height, the Red Bull runs slightly higher. The Mercedes has always had to be really low. So they're looking at ways to adapt that to make sure they can still get performance, but have a slightly more compliant car that's easier to set up. Based on that conversation and the Toto's demeanor, do you feel like Mercedes can close that gap in 2023 with Red Bull? Yeah, I mean, that's such a big question, uh, one which I don't think anyone can really have a certain answer about because it really answer, depends. Yeah. You know, they, all these teams that after Abu Dhabi will go away, go back to their factories, keep working. You know, they've already been working for a long time and it's all a big secret until it comes out in testing. But certainly their 
confident that the steps they've made towards the end of the season have been the correct steps. So if you remember at the start of this year, all we were talking about was how much that car was bouncing, the awful ride it had over bumps in places like Baku, you know, to the point that it was really hurting the driver's back. Backs injuries. And exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's... um. They, they got over that hurdle and now they're kind of working on the actual performance of the car. So they got over what was just a fundamental issue with the car and now they're working on the performance. So uh, that performance curve seems to be quite steep. Every time they bring something, it seems to get them a step forward. But there are some fundamental things with that car. Um, again, I think really the way the, the floor is interacting uh, aerodynamically with, uh, with, with how they set up the rest of the car. That's what they've got to adapt over the winter and then hopefully come back with a car that isn't just quick at high downforce circuits, which is what we've seen with that Mercedes, a car that's quick across all types of circuits. What did you make of Lewis's post-race comments about how he had doubted himself and was doubting himself earlier on in the year? Were you surprised by that admission? A little bit, yeah. Uh, you know, this is a guy who we know his record. Really, there is no reason for him to doubt himself at any point, but it is, it, it, it's an interesting insight. And of course, at the start of the year, he was really struggling even compared to George Russell. And part of that, I think, was down to Mercedes experimenting with different setups, going for some quite wild ideas, things which they perhaps knew wasn't they wasn't going to bring the lap time, but it might open up an avenue of performance and development. And so I think if you're the driver in the middle of all that, you can quite easily get lost. And all the things which you have relied on for years, especially a guy like Lewis, who's always been in a car that's hitting the track and being immediately quick to suddenly be hitting the track and then making steps backwards from a practice session to a qualifying session and the car feels worse and you know you're struggling even more that's got to even a guy like lewis that you know you, you got to start questioning you know is this partly me um so i i, I guess that's what he was getting up but yeah i'm pretty surprised he, he he said that because you know lewis max all these top drivers um they are so so good that it, it is surprising they ever question how good they are. Um, but then again, you look at someone like Daniel Ricciardo, you know, we felt for years that he was one of the top five drivers in Formula One, and now he can't even get a drive next year and is consistently finishing right at the back. So it, the confidence thing is very, very important in Formula One. I think it just reaffirms how important the mental aspect of this sport is and, and how you have to be at your best, not just physically, mentally, emotionally, spirit, like all of it matters and all of it obviously can impact the way that you drive on a given weekend. So I thought that that was really interesting from him with that admission post-race. Now, Nate loves the doghouse. He loves throwing in tons of people into the doghouse. He is not here, but I'm going to hit you with who you would throw into the doghouse. I don't know if you want to make room for a lot of people or if you're just going to throw in one or two. I'll leave it to you. Okay, well, I'm going to throw in one and, and then maybe you can add someone so they're not so lonely. We always feel bad about just putting one person in, don't we? Okay, so my choice is going to be Lance Stroll. Um, I, I feel like he was on for such a good weekend. Like, he was quick in practice. He qualified the car up in fifth. Yeah, there were some engine penalties involved in, in getting the car that high up there, but he started on a really good position. He was running third, looked mm -hmm. amazing. And then it all started to fall apart. And then, of course, that incident with Fernando Alonso, I would lay the blame at his door for, for that, that the stewards agreed. Funnily enough, the one person who didn't really feel that way was <laughs> Fernando Alonso. Uh, he said, you know, it's more of a racing incident. But we've got to remember, Fernando is going to drive for Aston Martin next year, will be Lance Stroll's teammate. Lance <laughs> Stroll is the son of the owner of the team, Lawrence Stroll. So I wonder if that had a factor in it. But um, yeah, it's, it, it's really for, for that move. I mean, I tell you what, you could also put George Russell in there, couldn't you? I was going to put George in there with there him. There you go. Okay, okay. There you go. That's yeah. fair. 
Someone yeah, um, who has been steady Eddie, uh, that was a bit uncharacteristic and blew up obviously a lot of things very early on. And so I just thought it was a bit too aggressive. And so George and Lance, I think should hang out for a little bit together in the doghouse. Is that fair? Good choice. Yeah. Let's yeah. go. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, so you're going to make a quick flight on Wednesday from Austin. I don't know if you have to connect or not. Austin's kind of a small airport. But yeah, you're I, to I, Mexico. I do. Yeah, okay, find Dallas, which doubles it up. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay, Austin to Dallas, Dallas down to Mexico. Uh, what kind of racing are you expecting down there next weekend? Well, the interesting thing about Mexico City is because the altitude is so high, mm-hmm. um, there's just less oxygen in the air. And that, because, again, these are science projects, physics is involved, <laughs> uh, that has an impact on car performance. So you look at the track layout and it's long straights. Now, usually on long straights, what you'd want to do is trim back the wings and run a low downforce setting. Well, in Mexico, because the air is so thin, they have to run maximum downforce just to make sure they've got any grip at all through the corners. So uh, so it's an interesting one. Yeah, so you, you actually end up with cars uh, in setups very similar to a Monaco setup, but driving around a track which kind of looks a bit like Monza. And the actual downforce level is actually more towards the Monza level than it is to uh, the Monaco level. So it does create um, a fairly unique set of characteristics, which means you sometimes get surprise results. Uh, the other thing that they have to look out for is that the tyres tend to overheat a little bit more because okay. there's just less ox- oxygen in the air. So uh, everything is prone to overheating, both the car's internals and the tyres. And so it's a it's, it's a different challenge for um, mainly for the engineers, but for the drivers as well to manage all that. So um, I'm looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's, it's a cool race. And also there's this brilliant party atmosphere. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the uh, baseball stadium bit at the end of at the end of the lap that they go through. And that is an incredible atmosphere. You know, I mean, the Mexican people like make it a fantastic atmosphere anyway, but to then get everyone in that kind of crowd, uh, it, uh, in essentially a baseball stadium with a racetrack going through it, it's, um, it's, it's, it's pretty special. So yeah, looking forward to it. Now we've touted and applauded the Japanese fans for being so creative. Would you put the Mexican fans up there? Yeah, I think for passion, definitely. And what was interesting was when, F1 came back to Mexico, I think it was 2015, if I'm, if I'm right in saying that. Uh, immediately, everyone was so all excited in. to be back there. Yeah, all in, packed grandstands. And it's just never changed. You know, they just absolutely love it there. Um, it's a real, you know, there's a real long-standing love of motorsport in Mexico. So I think it's um, really one of the places that everyone loves to go to because of that, because the fans love F1 and then F1 loves Mexico back. 
So we're in this interesting situation and scenario that we didn't obviously experience a season ago. Max has won the driver's championship. Red Bull is now the constructor's championship winner. I don't want to disrespect or degrade coming in second place in the driver's standings. Do the drivers care about coming in second? Like, how do they feel? Because obviously we make it a big deal because we want there to be some semblance of importance for the last few races of the season. But how do the drivers feel about it? Well, there's the famous quote in F1 that second is first to the losers. And I think that is pretty much how most drivers feel about it. Um, I mean, of course, like finishing second is better than finishing third, right? But Kimi Raikkonen famously said, uh, this was several years ago, that he didn't want to finish in the top three because it meant he had to put on a tuxedo and go to Paris to pick up his (laughs) third place trophy, which to him has no relevance or importance whatsoever. And he just wanted to have his his time off after the season to himself rather than going and shaking hands with people and and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, So it is interesting. I think, you know, these drivers, they're so built to win that yeah they, they want to do it i mean it, it would be nice for checo i think to to get second place it would be his best championship finish ever so um of course they'll try and do that but i think for all those drivers what would mean more to them than the second place is actually just one win at the end of the season because sure. getting that that victory and carrying that momentum into the winter for all the training they have to do for all the kind of engineering stuff they have to do over the winter as, as they get closer and closer to putting the new cars on track having that win behind you especially if che- for Checo it happens in Mexico you know He's that huge. would give him that would give him so much um uh yeah so, so much inspiration pride mm-hmm. enthusiasm to go into the winter with so I think that's probably what the drivers are looking at more and then if second place is a result of that so be it so as it stands, Charles Leclerc's in second with 267 points. Perez is right behind at 265. And then George Russell has 218 points. And then in the constructors, you've got Ferrari at 469 points and Mercedes closely behind at 416. Max obviously tied uh, the record for most wins in a season. Michael Schumacher and Sebastian Vettel held that record tied at 13. Do we feel like he sets a new record and gets his 14? 14- win can anybody stop him at this point i mean i think uh what we've got three races left i think he could set it at 16 (laughs) Uh, you know i really do like if i was going to put money on it that's what i'd say because he again we were talking about earlier the way that car has developed towards him the way he's driving at the moment he does look unbeatable in most Mm -hmm. scenarios uh you know, um, so Singapore was the odd odd one wasn't it you know that was basically one of the only races he hasn't won since the summer break uh but at the moment, he just looks so unbeatable. So I, I'm pretty sure he's going to set that new record. And that is a huge achievement. Uh, and it doesn't really seem to correlate with where the cars are. You know, cause we talked earlier about how good the Ferrari was at the start of the year. And I feel like Ferrari should have won so many more races, taken those off max this year. But uh, yeah, he was there and he won them all. And now he just looks unbeatable. So yeah, I think he's going to set that record at a, a new high. And that... I think that is a big deal, you know. Um, oh, yeah. It's always hard to know because there's so many records that can be broken in F1. It's always hard to know which ones to put um, the emphasis on. But yeah, that level of dominance by one single driver in a season is huge because not only are you beating all the other drivers, you're beating your teammate as well in what is usually very, very similar machinery, if not exactly the same machinery. So yeah, that is that is impressive. I feel like I've buried somewhat of the lead and saved it for the end. Red Bull and the FIA had paused there are semblance of negotiations at this point because of the passing of Dietrich Mateschitz. Do we feel like a punishment or uh, an agreement will be released by this weekend? Where are we with that as we close? I think so. Um, it sounds like it's all very close. Um, it sounds like 
uh, DFI have basically decided on on, on what they want to uh, what, what they want to put forward as a punishment, and mm-hmm. then it's really a case of whether Red Bull is willing to accept that. Uh, if Red Bull is willing to accept that, then it's as simple as that. That's the punishment, and um, Red Bull essentially have to admit their guilt as well in in, in that process. However, uh, if they're not happy with what the FIA have come up with, they can take it to the cost cap adjudication panel, uh, which would be made up of independent experts, both in finance and uh, usually legal fields. And then they would come up with a punishment, which if Rebel wants to appeal that, well, they then have to take it up to the International Court of Appeal. Now, the danger with all this is that it could go on for months and months. I mean, Christian Horner was talking about nine months, potentially, if they take it through all the appeal process. So it's it's better if they spend a little bit of time making sure that the punishment is fair and just at this stage. And if Red Bull's willing to accept that, then uh, I think that's the cleanest way we can put this all behind us. And we're probably talking most likely sporting penalty because there's almost certainly going to be a financial penalty. But mm-hmm. obviously you can't just leave it a financial penalty because then you're saying teams, if they want to overspend, all they have to do is just spend more on a penalty exactly. and then and then they can do it so it would completely defeat the purpose so there has to be a sporting element it looks like it's going to be a reduction in wind tunnel time and cfd okay. uh capability for for next year and that's significant because um you know that really will limit how much red bull can develop their car uh in the in the following year and if you do believe that the extra spend that Red Bull put into last year's car, we're talking somewhere in the region of $1.8 million, had a big impact on the advantage they took into the start of this season. Well, knocking about 20%, 25% off their win tunnel time would peg them back significantly. So we'll have to wait and see what comes out. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic we'll get something ahead of this weekend. But you know what? Uh, there were times in Austin when I was told it's going to be tomorrow and it wasn't tomorrow. So uh, I, I, <laughs> Not I'm holding hold your on. breath. I'm not holding my breath on it anymore. Uh, and uh, I just want, when it comes out, that it's, uh, you know, that it's all fair and that there's not really any loophole that Red Bull can appeal and that it's a, it's at a position where everyone can move on, accept what happened and kind of accept that perhaps Red Bull are going to take some punishment going forward. I have to know, what was the air in the room like when it was Zach Brown and Christian Horner splitting their media time together? Yeah, that was intense. That was very intense. <laughs> oh. um, and, you know, Credit to the FIA in, in how they set up their press conferences because they, they so always often, do that. I feel like the FIA so trolls these guys. They absolutely do. And uh, and they know we love it as journalists. So, yeah, they, they put them sat right next to each other. And it's great. And Christian would talk as if Zach Brown wasn't in the room. And, you know, I mean, Zach Brown is a important man. He's quite a presence when he when he walks into the room, you know. And yet there was Christian just really, you know, kind of saying stuff like, you know, this guy, what, what he said is completely unacceptable and all this kind of stuff. And Zach's just something like of course, Zach then says his piece, but um, yeah, that was that 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 was uh, a bit awkward and uh, very tense, but um, kind of fun to watch at the same time. I'm going to let you off the hook because Nate's not here to compare, but you just have to give me your race winner. Okay, and it can't be Max Verstappen. <laughs> it can't be Max Verstappen. No. Okay, actually, you know what? I'm going to go with Lewis Hamilton. Okay, um, because again, we were talking earlier about the weird. Uh, Mexico City atmosphere essentially that, that um, means that cars have to run in high downforce settings well every time the Mercedes run in a high downforce setting it's actually been very competitive so I think something would still have to happen to Max okay. for Lewis to win but um, I think that Mercedes again are going to be right up there um, right up there competing at the front like they were in Austin Awesome. Well, we can't wait to watch and we'll be reading and following along with your coverage. Safe travels as always 
thank you for the time and your analysis. I'm sorry that I missed you in Austin, uh, but we will get together here soon, hopefully, giving the off season before we get going with our 2023 coverage. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening to another episode of Unlap. Be sure to like, subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content, and be sure to give us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Cheers.